1: Books bound in human skin. We go and visit the dirtiest man in the world. Then we look at the winding, mysterious tale of a stone head found in Guatemala. What starts off as possible proof of an ancient civilization or UFO encounters becomes even odder today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio, I'm your host Jason Carpenter, I'm having a great, well, I'm having a great day, I hope you're having a great day too, I'm battling something in my ear, I, you listeners are probably like, dude, you're always sick, you just got done with the sinus infection, but now I got some ear pressure, actually it hurts to talk, so we're gonna go ahead, and, so... Yeah, um, we still got to record the podcast, though. So we're going to go ahead and get started, though. Uh, not because I want to hurry up and get this done with, but because we actually have a lot to cover. So first thing I wanted to talk about was books bound in human flesh. Now, the idea of a book having a flesh, fleshy cover is kind of something that it's one of those things that I think you would expect to be real. And you wouldn't be surprised to know that they actually exist. But for the most part, we see them appear in horror movies or horror horror novels or things like that where it's like the necromonon it's bound in the flesh of a tortured human and so on and so forth they do have pretty good providence providence i I know i never get that word right i think it's providence like the history of something They do have pretty good provenance on human-covered books. Books with human skin covers? As of 2016, there are 47 supposed books that covers flesh. Um, 18 have been confirmed to have the flesh, 14's been disproved, and others are currently being tested. I don't know why it's taken them so long. Just run a, a, A normal book cover does not have DNA. If it has DNA, it is human. There. I just saved you guys a ton of time. What's weird, though, so you go, okay, Jason, yeah, there's books bound in human flesh. No big deal. What's bizarre is the um, the small amount of them. Now, I thought they'd be everywhere, because people have been around forever. Books have been around for, what, since the Gutenberg Press, roughly? And I, I love it how you can often see the gaps in my my history. But So books were around probably like 1400 AD forward, but there's always been like tablets and papyrus and like scrolls i'm sure scrolls are made of human flesh but they say we only have these 47 books 1568 was apparently the first time that they're like this is the oldest book with human flesh it was a medical book and that was actually quite common it was medical books that mostly have been discovered having human flesh covers because medical staff had ac- easy access to cadavers, you know, I would be really cautious to go to a doctor who all of his patients have an eight by twelve patch cut out of their skin. I mean not his alive patients, but he's like, you-, you know you're obviously the medical guy, the dude doing the tannery gives it to the um the mortician, the mortician's like, why is this guy always missing a peachy's binder size?" Of skin from his torso. Ah, whatever, I'll just burn the body. So a lot of these were medical texts. There were a couple famous ones. So, you know, the um, gunpowder plot in England. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Guy Fawkes, all that stuff. One of the guys who was caught up in that, his name was Henry Garnett. He He, in 1606, when he was executed, they made a book out of his skin about the event. So, I mean, that's, you know, throwing salt on the wound. Your failed event, and then we're going to immortalize it in a book, and the cover is your skin. There was there was rumors during the French Revolution that there was a tannery set up just outside of town, basically, where they were cutting skin off people to make books. And so, again, like, sure, that was probably just a rumor, but you think there would still be more than these 47 books. Now, you had the people, you had the medical doctors doing it, you had condemned prisoners, their skin was also being turned into books. There's two famous examples... <laughs> There was this guy named James Allen. He went by the alias George Walton, and he there's a book called *The Highwayman: Narrative of the Life of James Allen, Alias George Walton*, and it's by James Allen, who, when he was dying, he's like, "I want you to, I want you to take this book. I want you to use my skin to make the cover." And the people are like, "Okay, I guess." And he's like, "And then," <laughs> this happened in 1837. That's why I'm doing an old-timey voice, but. He's like, ugh, I got the consumption and other old-timey diseases. Plus, I'm being executed for my crimes all at the same time. And I want you to... I wrote this book. I want you to put my human skin, my epidermis for the cover. And okay. So I want you to, to give this book to this dude who I tried robbing once. And he was so brave. I want him to have my skin book. Now... That's cool and all. I don't know if I would want that. Like if some guy put a gun in my face, an old timey gun, like a big old revolver. And I was brave, which is cool. And I survived. And then years later, I get a book in the mail. And it's his biography. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if I'm in it. And then you touch it. You realize the cover has follicles. Yeah, I don't think so. The other interesting... this I don't understand this. I don't do not understand this example of a human skin book. There is a, it is the biography of Abraham Lincoln, bound in the human skin of, and this isn't my word, this is the word off Wikipedia, this, I, it is bound with the skin of a Negro. So, I think you're kind of missing the point of what Abraham Lincoln was trying to do. It's like, hey, remember when, remember when that president freed all those slaves? Here's one of them! Here's this book! Why would you, what was the, who was thinking that through? But apparently you can read a biography of the life of Abraham Lincoln, and the cover is made out of the skin of a black man. Super bizarre. Now, here's the thing. Like I said in the beginning, I think there's far more books out there than these 47 that are made with human skin. In the article I was reading, they said there's a lot of legends of books of erotica and occult manuals being bound in human flesh. But that's mostly just rumors. I'm sure there's a ton of them. I'm sure there is a lot of, a, especially occult books, that are bound in human flesh. Because why not? The world's been, we've been around for so long, we've been bookbinding for so long, I'm sure there are not like vast amounts, it's not like a Barnes and Noble of human skin, but I'm sure there are a lot of books out there, because these books are the ones that are like in libraries. But if you had a personal collection of erotica bound in the human skin of young maidens, or you had like dark grimoires of... i You know, I'm sure there's even probably Bibles bound in human flesh. I'm sure that there are just mainstream religious texts that are like, oh yes, this one's made out of some priest dude who fell over and I figured no one was going to discover the body. He always wanted to be in the Bible. So now he is the cover. I'm sure there are actually... I mean, not when I say common, I don't mean, like, comparatively to all of the total of book bindings in the world. But I would bet money there's more than 47 books out there that have a cover made from a living human. A previously living human. But, dude, just do a DNA test. And it's a human, or it's cardboard, or maybe, like, a lamb. It really shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't take you that long to figure out how many books have human flesh on them. That's a good reason to get tattoos. That way, if you're... Skin never gets turned into a book cover. It's beautiful. It's already illustrated. Next story we're going to look at. This one is an interesting story because it's basically a story of degrees. It's a story of lots of little small steps that lead to you being discussed on a podcast called Dead Rabbit Radio. This one's actually a recommendation from YouTube user David. David, I, I always leave out people's last names because I don't know if they want that much attention. But anyway, so David on YouTube was like, hey, have you ever covered the story of the dirtiest man in the world. Now, I was aware of the dirtiest man of the world, but I hadn't done an episode on him yet. This is legit. You go, uh, is, it, he's, is he going to list 10 people who are the dirtiest? No, there's actually a guy who's considered the dirtiest man in the world. So, let's hop in the carpenter copter. We are leaving the books, the human skin book place. So, I'll hop in the carpenter copter. We're going to fly over to Iran and not get shot down. We're going to land in southern Iran, far away from any sort of, missiles i'm assuming i don't know I, anyways the carpenter copter flies over the middle east safely lands in southern iran and that is where we meet amu haji so amu haji is 84 years old he's an old man living in the desert he's 84 years old he has not had a bath in 60 years He's so dirty looking and all leathery that he looks like the dirt around him. Other people, and that's not me being racist. Other people in Iran go, he looks like the dirt. He looks like a bunch of rocks moving around. So, like I said, this is a story of degrees. The question is, how do you become the dirtiest man living in the desert? This Okay, so the story goes like this. The legend is that when he was a young man, a young woman broke his heart. Oh, that's so sad. I wonder if they have Valentine's Day in Iran. Anyway, so this young girl breaks his heart. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with anybody. I'm totally heartbroken. I'm just going to leave town. So he runs out into the desert. Now that's... I get that. I get that emotion. You you get your heart broken when you're young. Or even when you're old. But it hurts more when you're young. Because it's... You know, you haven't had it broken that many times. You run away. Now again... Here's the first degree. Most people go, you know what, I, this isn't, I just got to get back on the saddle and go back to town and try to find my way in the world. But the, he doesn't. He goes, yeah, whatever, I'm going to live out in the desert. Now, he's living out in the desert, and he, while he's out there, for whatever reason, he goes, you know what I'm going to also do while I'm out here? I'm going to stop bathing. I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop bathing. And you might go, okay, Jason, that's, you're in the desert, so you're going to be dirty all the time. You would spend all day long taking baths. It could have been a, a, just could have been a logistical issue. You didn't have time or enough water to bathe all the time. But he actually believes that if he takes a bath, he gets sick. So he runs out into the desert because he gets his heart broken. He decides to stop taking baths. And then he makes the decision to start drinking water out of a rusty oil can. A rusty old dirty oil can. And you're like, why? Go back to town and get some nice ceramic mugs. Get a beer stein. But no, he finds a a dusty, rusty, dirty oil can. Uses that to drink water. He drinks five liters of water a day. So that's good. He's not going to get dehydrated. He may get (laughs) several oil-based illnesses, but he's not going to get dehydrated. So what does he do for food, you ask? Well, for food, what would you do for food if you're in the Iranian desert? What animals are out there? Vultures? worms, I don't know. But he decides to eat rotting porcupine meat. That's his favorite meal. He eats rotting porcupine meat. See what I mean? It's a story of degrees. You want to be a hermit? Fine. You don't want to take a bath? Fine. But at what point do you go, I'm just going to eat rotting porcupine meat? Because if there's rotting porcupine meat, there's porcupines. Just get a porcupine and kill it and cook it. And eat it. You don't have to eat it rotting. Just eat one that you just killed. So, apparently in Iran, there are vultures, worms, and porcupines. Because there's enough rotting meat for him to eat it. So, he's sitting there. Let's say at this point, he's probably like 40 or 50. He's been out in the desert for a long time. He's covered in dirt. Drinking water out of a rusty oil can. He's eating rotting porcupine meat. But he's like, you know what, man? I'm so bored. I didn't bring any of my human skin books out here. Because I didn't bring any of any entertainment. There's no, I don't got my Game Boy. What am I going to do for fun? So what would you do for fun? You would, of course, do what Amu does. He starts smoking dried animal poop. Now, at this point, you're like... The... <sighs> Rotting meat, dirty water, no bath. And for entertainment, he smokes dried animal poop. Why? Like, I, and I, that's what was so, if it was just this guy was the dirtiest man in the world, I'd be like, ah, yeah, he doesn't take a bath, no big deal. But it's all the other little things that he does that just paints this sign of insanity. Now, he says that he's totally fine. He says one of the biggest trouble that he's had was a group of men from the nearby town showed up and tried to force him to take a bath, and he ran away. Like, that was one of the big moments of his life as a hermit. Now, he's been covered in the media quite a lot because, again, it's kind of an intriguing case. It's usually intriguing when people just kind of brush off society and go out on their own. But the latest article I read was that he is currently looking for love. He wants to rekindle that fire he once had, bring that love back into his life. I think before that happens, you're going to have to take a bath. And that's probably the least of your things. You're going to have to find something else to eat and stop smoking the animal dung. But at 84, I can't imagine, like, even if he came back and did, like, a whole she's all that makeover thing. I think after spending 60 years out in the wilderness, that just being inside, like, having to go back to sit inside, and then you're like, whoa, what's this thing? And they're like, oh, that's a SpongeBob SquarePants. He's like, oh, my God, people, these these drawings, they automatically... He's not that old. Like, he knows what television and cartoons are, but it would be such a culture shock. So he can either hope for... to go back into the real world, or for one day him to wake up and there is a hot young woman sitting there, just slightly dusty, going, man, I'm thirsty. Is there any rusty oil cans around I can drink from? Like, he would need to find someone on his viable level. But, you know, the world's big enough. I'm sure there are women who read that article and were like, hmm... He's kind of sexy. He's a rebel. The ultimate bad boy. He doesn't let society tell him what to smoke. He'll eat whatever he wants. I'm sure if he had a mail address, women would write him love letters like they write serial killers in prison. But Hamu, Haji, Dead Rabbit, Radio Salutes you. Whatever you want, I hope you get. You don't, you seem relatively harmless. I just think it's so bizarre that you Go from just saying, I don't want to take a bath to smoking animal poop and eating rotting porcupine. Like, I really wish I could figure out where those decisions happen. Cause I don't think all four of those things happen on the same day. I don't think as he was leaving town, he saw a rotting porcupine and goes, I'll be back for you later. First, I gotta go not take a bath, but then I'm gonna eat you. I'm gonna smoke some animal poop. It's just weird how those steps all progressed. Okay, for our last story of the night, this one was really weird. This was also a request from YouTube. And I'm not going to be able to pronounce the name right, but I'm going to try it. Holly Coreris? Holly co Chorus? Holly Chorus they hit me up and they said, hey, have you ever done an episode on the, have you ever heard of the Guatemalan Stonehead? And I hadn't. I looked it up and I saw the picture and I was like, oh, that's intriguing. And I kind of filed it away. Every so often I would kind of take a brief look at it and it didn't really investigate it. It was intriguing. I was like, okay, I'll do that in season three. And today I sat down and I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do Guatemalan Stonehead. I, I, this, I've been doing some changes with the stories this week because some stuff has popped up, Thanksgiving conspiracy and all that for next, for tomorrow. So I was kind of looking for a good, a good meaty story to tell today. Guatemalan Stonehead, I looked into it, and it is bizarre. The whole, it's so wrapped up in these. Okay, let me just, it, it's, it was not what I expected the story to be. So, but let's get into the basics. So, the carpenter copter we have to leave in Iran because the dirtiest man in the world was sleeping in it. And it smells like rotting porcupine meat. So, now we're going to have to take the, oh, now we're stuck again with the dead rabbit rowboat. So, it is a long journey. From Iran to Guatemala. We're going to row all the way from the desert of Iran somehow to Guatemala. It's a long journey, but we get to know each other better. And he gave us an ample supply of dried animal poop to smoke. So we are <laughs> ripped. We are totally off our heads by the time we get to Guatemala. Which is probably going to help for this story. So we we're, we're tie tied the rowboat up to the... What's that thing? A pier. Uh, now we've got to get our sea legs back we're kind of walking weird severely vitamin c deficient we both have scurvy but now we're on land we're in guatemala we're gonna go get a beer and um a bunch of oranges we're gonna eat a ton of limes now so anyways we're on the land we're in guatemala 1987 dr oscar rafael padilla laura got a picture we'll just call him oscar oscar was a ufologist So he was a guy, he was into conspiracy theories and UFOs and all that stuff. He gets a picture and there's a picture of a little Volkswagen bug parked next to a giant stone head somewhere in the jungles of Guatemala is what is the the letter included with the picture says. It's somewhere in the jungles of Guatemala. Now what's interesting about the face of the stone head, it has Caucasian features. So it has like a sharp nose, thin lips, high cheekbones. In that region where this head was discovered, there are other stone heads. They're very popular. They're the Olmec stone heads, the, the civilization, the Olmecs and the Mayans lived in the civilization. They carved also these massive stone heads, but they had facial features that were reminiscent of the civilizations that lived there. So they had puffier cheeks, flat noses, and their eyes were a bit crossed. And there are still people in the region who match. They don't have giant stone heads, but they look like a... The stone heads look like the people who did live there, but out of the middle of the jungle you have a head that is listed as being Caucasian features. So he gets this photo in 1987. The photo is dated like the 1950s. And it he he writes an article for like this UFO magazine. He's like, look at this picture. This picture this shouldn't this this head shouldn't exist in this area there was no white people in the area when this head would have been created when the Olmec heads would have been created this is an anomaly could it be aliens could it be a previous race so on and so forth so of course people start to ask questions and they're like oh where's the head at you know what's going on how do we find out more about this we need to know what's going on dr oscar we'll call him dr oscar dr oscar says that he was just able to from the brief information in the letter able to track down where the head actually was so he goes there and the head is shot to pieces the lips are gone the nose is gone and the eyes are shot away we're blown off by anti-government forces there was a civil war there was a lot of civil strife in that area and he was like i'm never going back there i'm not going to tell anyone where it's at but this is a real stone head and here's the proof here's this photo and he didn't take more photos of it with all the stuff blown off of it. So people were suspicious, but also very intrigued. Because this wasn't just some dude. He was a well-respected ufologist, especially in Central America, lore, things like that. The story had pretty much disappeared. Like, it was just kind of... There's so much stuff that comes out in weird news that it's it, unless something is constantly developing, stuff will kind of fall to the wayside. This story pretty much disappeared until... There was a documentary being, a quote-unquote documentary being made called Revelations of the Mayans 2012 and Beyond. And this is where the story gets really bizarre. So this documentary is being made. And they believe that it is either an ancient civilization that predated the Olmecs that built this head. So before any indigenous people of Central America, South America were there, there was a previous race of white people or Caucasians in that area. And it's funny because that ties a lot into the theory of Hitler's master race and then wanting to go to South America to build colonies and using all that stuff. But anyway, so they positioned themselves as either there was an older race that existed in Central and South America or aliens built it. This documentary, they got a letter from Guatemalan archaeologist Hector E. Maji. And this is what the letter said. <laughs> I certify that this monument presents no characteristics of Maya, Nautil, Olmec, or any other pre-Hispanic civilization. It was created by an extraordinary and superior civilization with awesome knowledge of which there is no record of existence on this planet. That's quite the bold letter. So, what's funny was that this documentary was going to be made. They got this letter going out. Theories now, again, were starting to fly. Was this Stonehead stone created by the Olmecs, and it's an anomaly? Is the Stonehead proof of an older civilization? The fact that the Stonehead is slightly looking up, is it proof that it's looking for aliens? Uh, you know, they have the alien race that are known as the Pleiadians, which are Aryan. They're white and blonde hair and all that stuff. We'll get into them in a later episode, but the idea that it could be modeled on them... So here, this is, it's, this story was, when I was researching it, I was like, okay, Stonehead, different theories. I read an article, and the first article I read, they were kind of like, this is kind of weird, this kind of weird. As I kept reading more articles, the stories just got weirder and weirder. So, the documentary, Revelations of the Minds 2012 and Beyond. Was being made by Raul Julia's son. Which I don't know why I think that's funny. But it, I think it's funny. Because whenever I think of Raul Julia. I think of Street Fighter the movie. I, I, everything else he did. That's all I can remember is Street Fighter the movie. Anyway so Raul Julia's son. And Bison's son is making this documentary. They include that letter. By Hector E. Maja. Hector eventually says, the letter that they presented was completely altered. I never saw the statue. I never visited the site. I saw the photograph. He goes, I don't believe it's anything extraordinary at all. So the documentary actually cast more doubt on the fact that this had even existed at all. Because all anyone had was this photo. Now, there were other researchers who were looking into this over the years. No one could ever find it because it was just an, a, a basically an undated photo that one guy said that he visited but wouldn't tell anyone where it was at. And there were researchers who were looking at it saying this is proof of the white master race, that white people existed here long before anyone else. And then I guess if they're the master race, somehow they died off. But anyways, this is proof of that. Other people were like, this is proof of aliens. Other people said, no, there's an archaeological reason. There must have been other Olmecs who made this head for whatever reason. Lost in all of the shuffle... Predating even the photograph from the 1950s, the answer was there. And a lot of these researchers could easily access this information and they either weren't or they saw it and just completely disregarded it. This is the tale of the Guatemalan stone head. It actually did exist. The photograph is real. It is a real stone head in the middle of Guatemala In 1941-1942, the Carnegie Institution Reconnaissance Survey was going through the area, taking notes of everything. They came across the story of a guy in 1936 who used soft volcanic pumice and carved a monument to his dead wife on his farm. When the Carnegie... They weren't there specifically to look for the Stonehead. They were just doing reconnaissance of the area, archaeological stuff, history stuff, all that stuff. They come across the Stonehead. They talk to people. They go, hey, what's that doing that? People in town are like, oh, Joe made that. We don't know who, we don't know the name of the guy who made it. A lot of the stuff had been lost, but they'd be like, hey, Joe made that. Yeah, he made it for his dead wife. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. They talk to other people in town. They're like, hey, do you know anything about the stone head? They're like, yeah, yeah. The farm administrator over there, he lost his wife. He was really sad. He basically carved this. It is huge. It's bigger than a Volkswagen bug, but it's very soft stone. He's like, yeah, you know, he sat and carved it for his dead wife. It's a monument. And so that the Carnegie Institution was like, okay, this is what this is. They ended up, so there was a historian back in the day, wrote an article, Lee Parsons wrote this article called A Pseudo-Pre-Columbian Colossal Stonehead on the Pacific Coast of Guatemala. And this article is explaining the, the, the stone head and where it came from and the history behind it. And this is an interesting part of this article. Here's the quote here. Whatever the inspiration, its very existence could confound future archaeologists and lead to unwarranted explanations of trans-Pacific contact or even mysterious pre-Columbian megalithic complexes. Anticipating such interpretations, I have titled this paper a pseudo-pre-Columbian colossal stone head. Actually, there was no intention whatever to defraud. But through the years the sculpture has become increasingly difficult to identify. Therefore it is here recorded that the lost Victoria stone head is recent, having been carved in 1936. Further, it has no meaningful relationship to any American Indian, living or dead. I regret that I am unable to supply the name of the Guatemalan for who the monument is a true modern memorial. So the person who made it its name has been lost and unfortunately the person who It was made as a memorial for was lost. Apparently, there was a plaque at one time at the base of the stone head. plaque's gone. And the idea that it got shot to pieces by anti-government forces, the theory is is that it was soft pumice. So, really, it it wouldn't have lasted the ages. Just erosion will take care of it. But this Lee Parsons was like, listen, I know what's going to happen. People are going to stumble across this stone head. And they're going to think that it is proof of something that it's not this was a modern memorial that was made but he knew how historians and archaeologists and stuff like that would think and he's also thinking 100 200 300 years in the future like again if the the nose is gone the lips are gone the eyes are gone but it's still different looking enough and they were going to be like this is proof of something we don't know what it is we're going to start looking into it and he's like no 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 don't i'm writing this I trust that people in the future will be smart enough to find my article, and I am telling you this is the history of the Stonehead. So that's it. The Stonehead does exist. How much of it, it's possible that Dr. Oscar went there and saw the head, and, and it had been either blown up, piece of it blown up, or just because it's softer stone, parts of it were eroding away. His story may be true that he went there and he's like, it's too violent here. He could have went there and realized eh, this, is, this is more modern than I th- it looks in the picture. So I'm just not going to tell anyone where it's at. And it is weird that he didn't take any additional photos to go all the way out there and not take any. I mean, we rode all the way from Iran. He just showed up in a car and couldn't even take a photo. There are still people who believe that this story is a cover up. That the Stonehead is actually from an ancient white Caucasian civilization or aliens. And this story that was planted 20-30 years before the UFO story even started. That this story is fake. I mean, you, you would really have to do some like vast retconning I, I really this was a really enjoyable story to research because again i went in thinking oh there's going to be the Stonehead. there's not going to be it's the questions are going to be who built it why and when there's going to be no answers and it actually turned into this winding mystery that actually has a conclusion which my favorite mysteries my favorite like conspiracy mysteries true crime paranormal are the ones that have a definite conclusion this is what happened the open-ended ones are fun to speculate on, but when you can actually go back and say, this is real and this is what happened, and there's no real speculation behind it, that is what I find the most fun researching. Because there's an end. Just like this is the end of today's podcast. Dead Rabbit Radio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash Radio